Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Tomahawk Show. We have a, another great episode here. I am Andrew Hawkins, joined as always by my co-host, Joe Thomas, the legendary Joe Thomas, and of course, NFD, man of everything with no face. Listen, on the show, we were going to talk Big Ben, we were going to talk the Matt Ryan contract, but we ended up having two very special guests. The Miz calls in, as well as Gary Barnage. So that's going to be the majority of what we, we do today on the Tomahawk Show. So as always, make sure you subscribe and rate five stars anywhere that podcasts are available. Make sure you leave a review that says we're the best podcast in human history, which is a 100% fact already proven. And quick recap, before we have the Miz join us, NFD, what, what were the results of our Disney draft last week? I already know the results, but I just want to hear the confirmation so that Joe feels really bad about himself today. We had 3 million votes come through. 74% of them went to Hawk. Hey. The, real, the real shocker is my undrafted free agent team got 14% of the votes and Joe's team, who had the first overall pick, got 12% of the votes. That was a shocker. That was a shocker. Not the fact that Joe's team was so bad, but the fact that NFD also beat you with a, with a set of undrafted uh, with a set of undrafted movies that nobody picked, even though I picked five number one. Unfortunately, the people that really would have thought my team was stellar were all people that are too old to have social media. So I think that's why the votes were a little <laughs> bit skewed. But had you had a really true representation of the American population and had everybody vote, I still think I would have won. <laughs> and now we got a special guest on the Tomahawk Show. We have the best wrestler in NFL history, the Miz from right down the street in Parma, Ohio. Thank you so much for being on with us today. Thank you so much for having me. It is an absolute honor to be on with such uh, an amazing left tackle for the Cleveland Browns. You know, the only time I've ever wanted to get a jersey was your jersey. And I don't think anyone ever gets left tackle's jersey, but you're the person that stayed in Cleveland and was Cleveland for the past, I don't know, what, 12 years? Uh, so thank you very much for uh, always protecting the uh, 30 quarterbacks that have went through Cleveland. <laughs> well, hey, I really nice about me, Miz. Tell tell yeah. the viewers how how much of an honor. I also wanted to, to get a Hawkins jersey. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know what? <laughs> I was actually curious when, when when you came to Cleveland. What was your first thoughts? Because you you came from other teams. So when you come to Cleveland, is this like uh, the sort of team that when you came here, you were like, oh man. Uh, or was it like, oh, I'm going to Cleveland, oh, this sucks? Or was it like, oh, man, I'm going to Cleveland, this is going to be amazing? And then what was your experience like? I'm just curious. Yeah, it, I think more than anything, I was happy I was getting a lot of money. That was number one. <laughs> <laughs> that was number one in the pecking order. Number two, it was like, uh, worst case, I'll suck, will suck, and I'll get to move on with my life. But we gave it a good shot. Um, but I was actually pleasantly pleasantly surprised when I got here and I seen like the team and all the team, like the kind of guys they had on the team, because like Cleveland has like a bunch of, of great guys and not to say the Cincinnati Bengals didn't, but I will say they were a little more rough on the edges in the Cleveland locker room. <laughs> and so that was like a pleasant surprise. And they had a bunch of talent too. I think that helped shape Cincinnati. Um, I Is think that kind of what Cleveland needs. I don't know if it's like an edge, like attitude to help them. I will say the fact that they had those, attitudes and and things might have happened outside the field is might might be the reason they have them all in one locker room because they have a bunch of talent and there were guys who you know people passed up on or you know fell down the draft board or you know guys that people wouldn't touch in free agency Cincinnati brought them in so you got a lot of talent but on the opposite side you, you get a lot of you know extracurricular activities 
you know, off the field and sometimes after the whistle. Which hurt him. You know, it's funny being a Cleveland fan for, for all my life. Every single year, I would always say, this is our year. This is our year. This is our year. And this year, I told myself, I wasn't going to do that. There is no way I'm going to do it this year. And then Dorsey comes in and starts just giving these, this team a lot of playmakers. You know, you know, with the number one pick, I, uh, I thought Darnold or, or Baker, and uh, he went with Baker. And then for the fourth, I was, a little int- uh, I was a little hesitant on Ward just because I thought Chubb was the guy. You know, having Miles Garrett and Chubb, uh, you know, basically going after the quarterback would be amazing. But obviously he went for a need. And then now looking at this draft, looking at the, the things that he did in, in, uh, in, uh, in uh, what's it called? Uh, getting like Jarvis Landry and a bunch of other people. So he, got, he brought a lot of playmakers in. Now, Joe Thomas retiring was a very big, uh, was a very big thing for me because I was like, oh, man, that's going to suck. But I can't help but – support and and love and know that Cleveland is in the right direction. Do you guys feel the same way? I do. So are you telling us that you're saying that this is our year in Cleveland? This is our year once again. Every year I say it, I think I'm going to do that. But no, but if you think about it, you know, with Tyrod Taylor, I feel like he's a dual threat type of quarterback. He's very accurate. That's what we were missing last year. Not only were we missing that, but Kaiser, I thought, didn't really have a lot of help. No offense to any, any of the guys out there. I know everyone worked hard and were trying to do anything, but it felt that, you know, he held onto the ball too long. Like, even I was like, throw the ball, throw the ball, throw the ball. <laughs> but, uh, you know, now having Tyrod coming in, and basically having Baker Mayfield be able to learn, hopefully, from Tyrod, as well as, Joe, are you, are you basically working with the linemen now? Yeah, I've been spending most of the spring working with the different uh, offensive linemen, specifically the tackles. I'm trying to get Sean Coleman ready to play left tackle in the NFL here next year, and I think it's been going pretty well. I'm actually really positive and uh, optimistic that Sean's going to do a great job for me there at left tackle. How do you feel that the, uh, the kids are doing, uh, the new kid, uh, Austin? Is he going to be uh, maybe a tackle or a guard, or what do you think? I'm not sure where they're going to start him out. They had their rookie minicamp last weekend, but I was too busy getting passed out at Cinco de Mile. <laughs> so I didn't oh, yeah. uh, But I think they're coming back in like another week or two to, to when we start OTAs, and then I'll get a good look at them then. And I think it, it doesn't take long, as Hawk will tell you, after a guy shows up when you look at them on a practice field, you know, like if they're going to be ready this year or if they're probably not going to be ready this year or they're probably never going to be ready. Can you tell since you're such an elite, like a level, like athlete, elite level left tackle, like you, do you, can you actually tell like who is going to be something in college? Like, do you look at a guy in college and go, this guy, we need to get this guy. Do you like, are, are you like in Dorsey's ear or anything like that? Or, or no, it's more or less you have to see him on the practice field in the NFL against NFL caliber uh, players. Who's running the interview here? <laughs> I was going to say. Figure out if this Sorry, is I, I, get, I get really excited when I talk to like uh, NFT show. You should, you should have heard me with Gary Barnage when I when me I would I would I would just uh, harp on Gary Barnage every day, and then like with Nathan Zagura, I literally just talk shop with him all the time because I'm always curious on. Because I, I don't, I don't know the the NFL. Like I, I know fantasy sports, and I know a lot of NFL players don't really like fantasy. But I mean, that's how I got, I got, I get really into it. But I also don't know like the psychology involved in being an NFL player and how you know, it, you know, there's no science. It feels like it's almost like you kind of just got to go through it. And how do you find these elite level players 
you know, to, you know, make a team. Like everyone always says that the Cleveland Browns are, you know, they're, they're a bad organization and this, that, and the other thing. And you got to be like the Patriots or the, the Packers. And it's like, well, I don't, I don't think so. I, I, I don't, I don't know, but I mean, I imagine anything can happen with, with an organization. I imagine all it needs is a turnaround. And I feel like hopefully this is the year that is the turnaround. I think it comes down to a lot of times what guys do off the field to your question. Like, do people know based on what you see on film? Like the thing about stats or the thing about big plays is if you're in the game and you're in the position, they're going to happen. Like there's going to be a receiver that catches 4,000 yards this year, next year, and every year in perpetuity. But that doesn't mean that he's the end all be all or some guy that catches a lot of catches. The difference comes when you're watching college tape and you see all these guys who are good, they have the talent to be there or they wouldn't be there in the first place. It's what they do off the field. I always tell guys, like, I have a, a, a kid who tells me, hey, I'm, I'm entering the NFL draft. I'm like, well, how often do you work out by yourself? Well, I just do the team stuff. Well, then that tells me right there you're not going to be a good professional. You're not going to maximize your opportunities as a pro because the best players work out by themselves. They don't need somebody pushing them, waking them up, or telling them what to do here and every chance they get. It's funny you say that because I remember on uh, Instagram and I'd always go on like the Browns app and just see what's going on. And I always see your, your workouts uh, and just you'd like training. And it was always yeah. it's fun to see. And you know what else is fun to see? Seeing Jarvis Landry, Carlos Hyde, and all those new guys coming in and kind of doing that uh, the MGK music video uh, with Cleveland. And I was like, yeah. oh, man, I mean, how can you not get excited for the Cleveland Browns? There's a lot of excitement right now. I've been in the locker room all spring. I'm still rehabbing my elbow, and I've been helping out doing some coaching. And that infusion of talent that John Dorsey brought in this offseason has really led to a lot of excitement around the team. You know, as you know, being a Clevelander, people around the NFL aren't going to be talking much about the Browns this offseason, but there's definitely a spirit and energy in that locker room that's a little bit new compared to where it was the last couple of years. Oh, yeah. What is, what is your, awesome. your favorite moment as a Browns fan, Miz? Favorite moment as a Browns fan, um, you know, I remember as a kid, you know, uh, you know, Bernie Kosar and, you know, Ozzie Newsome, Eric Metcalf, Kevin Mack, you know, all those like kind of old school players. You know, it, it might not have been a moment on the field or anything like that, but I just remember going to a game as a child and uh. feeling the electricity of that stadium. And it was the municipal stadium, by the way. And it was just electric, and it was something that, that gravitated towards me, you know, hearing the, the, the loud, you know, audience and, and seeing the players, how big and massive. I remember meeting Michael Dean Perry at an autograph signing. It was like the only autograph signing I ever stood in line for. I was like years old. <laughs> but it was just like shaking his hand. I remember when a, a Cleveland uh, Michael Dean Perry actually came to my elementary school, and uh, I remember I wore a special pair of shoes because I thought he would, it, they made me look fast. And he would look at me and go, wow, man, you should be a football player. You know what I mean? Like, that's the type of things, these, these little memories that I remember as a kid growing up. So it was always about the Browns, you know. And so, um, so, so those are the kind of memories that I have and I take with me at all times. You know, a really cool memory that happened recently was uh, last year when I went to the first game. I did a nice little, like, uh, I guess, uh, like a hype video. For, uh, for the Browns, for the, the Pittsburgh Steelers. Like, whenever I get asked to do those sort of things, it, it just it amazes me because I'm a kid from Parma, Ohio. I went to Normandy High School, and, you know, it's, you know my heart is always in Cleveland. And yeah. to be asked to do, to hype up, 
you know, our players and our, our, our audiences. It's just an honor for me. Well, you did that with the Cavs, didn't you? The Cavs playoff pump up video. Yeah, I just, I did it actually. Uh, we did that in playhouse square actually. So if you go to any games at the playoffs um, or the finals, cause I imagine we will go to the finals. Uh, you know, they, they, I did a, a hype video for the, uh, the Cavs and, uh, it was a lot of fun. We did a playhouse square and, um, you know, it's, it's cool to, uh, be able to motivate an audience and, uh, you know, hype them up. So, uh, hopefully we can get another title for Cleveland. Well, you talked about memories and, and meeting, meeting people. You actually have a memory with the Tomahawk show. I'm going to give you some choices and I'm going to let you guess cause I'm a hundred percent sure you know, after hearing it, that you don't remember it. So we're going to give you choices, and you have to pick which memory do you think is, is the real connection with the Tomahawk Show. You ready? All right. All right. Option A, did you date someone in NFD's family when you were at Miami University? Option B, did you almost fight my brother in Cancun, Mexico? Option C, did you accidentally cut off Joe's wife, Annie, on the highway option d all of the above oh man wow these are good ones <laughs> yeah um, to say see, i don't remember any of these and if <laughs> i did cut off his wife i probably wouldn't know so i'm gonna go with option c because it was probably an accident and if it happened i apologize and i wouldn't know even <laughs> if i did and i was probably trying to get somewhere really fast yeah, that was that was that was a good guess. But the real answer is you almost fought my brother in Cancun, Mexico. Get out of here. No way. I, I kid you not. What that happened, was, Hawk? Listen, when I was growing up, I was a big real world fan. Right. So I would watch the real world all the time. My senior year, my brother was playing for the Bengals and he took us on a family vacation to Cancun, Mexico in the month of March. Right. So oh you can boy. imagine what goes on in Cancun, Mexico, the month of, month of March. Back and then, by the way, there was no camera phones. So you could do and whatever. There was no camera want. phones back then. It was 2003 or 2002 or something like that. Anyway, we're going into the MTV club and we're late. We're like, you know, we're Cancun. My brother's had a lot of drinks. It looked like the Miz had a, a lot of drinks himself. They Probably. bumped into each other like backwards, like stumble backwards into each other. Then both turn around. I think you said a joke. Now I'm 17 years old. I'm frightened. And if you guys have never been to Mexico, do you know like the police walk around with assault the rifles? Gun. Like, yeah, absolutely. Like on their shoulder, cocked, point like. So my brother had just gotten like, you know, we left somewhere. I don't know what it was. Long story short, you guys bump into each other like random, accidental, and you both were like, yo, man, watch where you're going. He's like, yo, watch where you're going. And then you like threatened <laughs> to put on your back. He threatened to put you on your back. And so I jump in the middle, like, hey, okay, hold on, we're good, we're good. Let's just let's just go in, go in the club and have a good time. And like, yeah, whatever. And you guys went your separate ways, but it was the scariest moment of my life because I, I'm, I don't even like guns, but there's four police officers holding assault rifles, and you two are about to fight <laughs> each other in Cancun, Mexico. <laughs> that sounds about right, to be honest. Yeah, that's something definitely I would, that would happen to me, <laughs> especially back then. In 2003, like, I, you know, being on MTV, it was, it was basically the place to be. And then I got paid to go to Cancun to basically, you know, lead parties. And this was a, a time where you didn't have these camera phones and everything wasn't all over the Internet. There was no MySpace, YouTube. There was no, you know, um, Facebook or, or, or Twitter or Instagram. It was just 
go out there, have fun, and your memory is in your head. So it, you could do whatever the hell you wanted. And it was arguably <laughs> one of the most fun times in my life, uh, except for the time when I almost fought your brother. <laughs> yeah. So who would have won? If, if it would have thrown down, who would have won that I don't fight? Remember which brother was I don't it? remember how big he was. Which brother was it? Because Hawkins got like 100 way. brothers. I, yeah, I got 100 I brothers. I up for a while, but I can last a long time. So I can take a lot of it. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm an like endurance like fighter, if you will. I love it. I love it. So, Hawk, which brother was it? It was Artrell, who actually played, like I said, in the NFL for nine years. And what's he most famous for? Um, what do you mean, as an NFL player? Wasn't he the brother that uh, ran over the bus? No, he was the or one that the he bus got run over by out. the bus. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but he's, he's hit the bus a couple of times. You can Google yeah. a couple of good bus hits. I think he actually put them on YouTube to prove it. Yeah. Uh, Your brother was a pretty tough in the box safety. Like he was, he was not yeah. like you. No, he wasn't a sissy. I'm a sissy. He's he was a tough one. Yeah. <laughs> so what? It would have been a good fight at the time. I think so. They were both he so would have paid money to see that. I don't think it would have lasted long. You guys were both extremely hammered. So <laughs> the tourist was, police would have just shot like all you guys and then <laughs> yeah. into the garbage and anyway. Pulls over and falls over a bush and then starts throwing up. Or someone punches <laughs> someone in the stomach and it just ends up throwing up on each other. <laughs> End up in Mexican jail. Yeah. Sounds about Cancun. Sounds about right. <laughs> all right, so we're going to transition here to the Cavs. Are you a big Cavs fan? I know you're a big Cavs fan. I don't know why Huge I Huge Cavs fan. Bad question. So here's the here's here's a besides the fact that the Cavs are playing ridiculous ball right now, and I love it, and we all love it. There's the conversation happening that is LeBron the goat? Is he the greatest of all time? And I want greatest everyone to chime in. Bar none. Bar none. You know, I was having an argument with one of my friends uh, who thinks Michael Jordan is the greatest of all time, and I keep telling him absolutely not because you know LeBron isn't even done, and he's playing the best basketball that he's ever played in his entire career. And if you thought yeah. he was good back then, I mean, just look at him now. I mean, look at him throughout these, these, these playoffs. I mean, he is a playoff caliber type player. And not only that, he can lead a team and elevate the players that are on his team. And that's what makes an, a tremendous player, that you can elevate people, you know, so much so that people were like, oh, when we lost Kyrie, that there's no way we can make it to the finals again. And then we made all those trades again and got a whole different new team, a younger team. And now, you know, you're looking at LeBron kind of carrying the, his whole team uh, in, in with, the, with the Indiana Pacers. But then in Toronto, now you're seeing the, the team's type of form. And I feel like we haven't peaked yet. And that's the problem. Sometimes I think we peak too early. And I think we're going to peak at the right amount, at the right time. I think we have the right players. And I really believe that we can win the NBA Finals this year. I love it. If LeBron wins the NBA Finals this year, he's the GOAT. I don't even want to argue or hear the, the take from anybody else. Like, if he wins the, NFL, the NBA Finals this year with this team, I don't even think you can argue it, that he's the greatest basketball player of all time. I couldn't agree with you more. Yeah, when I was a kid, uh, MJ was, like, at the height of his awesomeness in the 90s. And I remember talking to my dad. My dad always used to say, like, oh, MJ, he's nothing like Dr. J. Dr. J was the greatest player of all time. So there's always a little, like, nostalgia that plays into that argument when people say, is it LeBron? Is it MJ? You know, older people think it was Wilt or uh, Dr. J or whatever. But after what, like, like you said, what LeBron has done this season alone, and, I mean, they didn't even win the championship. Hopefully they will. But he has completely put the team on his back. The amount of minutes that he's played and the way he's had to play on the offensive side and the defensive side, 
I think that the argument about who's better, whether it was him or MJ or even Kobe, I think it's kind of a, a, mute, a moot point at this, at this stage because he has just done so much for that team completely by himself that I don't think there's ever been an NBA player in history that has done even 90% of what he's been able to do. I agree. 100% agree. The, the point that people don't like. Not even, not even Mark the people, Price. The thing that people don't. Not even Mike Price. Mark Price. Mark <laughs> Price. The thing that people don't talk about is the fact that, like, yes, Michael Jordan was the was the greatest, right? I, I'll give him that. And everything that he did in his greatness, like when we were young, we got to see Michael at his, like, peak. But there was, like, a, a considerable amount of time where he wasn't that, that he built himself into that. And we've watched that whole process with LeBron. So when he came in, we expected him to be MJ from day one and not give him that opportunity to get better. Like the Miz said, He's playing his best ball right now at 33 years old at a time when he has the least amount of help on his team. And it's so tough to be like, for the amount of expectations people put on him, for him to live up to that and exceed him is incredible to me. Totally agree. Yeah, I mean, he's he's living up to the hype, which not many people or not many movies can do. (laughs) Yeah. Miz, I got a question. Favorite Cav of all time not named LeBron James? Mark Price. I already said it. Yeah, Mark Price. I remember being a kid, and that dude could shoot the ball from anywhere. He led the team, you know, and uh, I just always enjoyed watching Mark Price. I always liked those old-school jerseys, too. It was funny. I went from Mark Price to Sean Kemp uh, and those ugly, (laughs) like, light blue jerseys. And I remember going to the stadium, and it would always be empty. And that's, like, not the Sean Kemp when he was on the Supersonics. It was like the Sean Kemp when he gained a little weight. And he just wasn't the same guy that he used to be, um, you know. And then, uh, then you know, now LeBron is just just the man. Let's pivot now. I know you're a new dad, and all three of the guys here on this end of the phone call uh, have at least one. Some of us multiple children, so we know the pain that you're in right now, early on with the new baby. But uh, do you have any good new dad stories? Being that it's only been a couple months, I am. It's only been one month. One month. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's funny, like there, it hasn't really been that, like, I mean, people are like, oh man. And, uh, my wife is just so amazing and so incredible with our daughter. And, uh, you know, I actually enjoy like changing her, holding her, like as much as I want, cause I travel so much, you know, being a WWE superstar, you know, you're on the road nonstop all day, every day. And I don't want to be the dad that's not there. I want to be there for my baby. I want to be there you know, to hold her, to see her, to see the things that, you know, all my, you know, colleagues say that they miss. I don't want to be that. So as much as possible, whenever I'm home, I'm always holding her, always doing things. So the one thing that uh, I guess is kind of interesting was uh, I didn't realize that you got to cover yourself when you're changing because, um, well, (laughs) I mean, you know, I hate, I hope I don't embarrass her for when she's older, but yeah, I have been pooped on many projectiles. Like, it's like, you don't realize it's coming either. It's like you hold them to feet up, you kind of, you take off the diaper, and as you're about to start cleaning, it just goes, boom. And you're like, oh, what's this? Oh, oh my, I can't believe And then you're like, you don't know whether to throw up, or you don't know whether, you, you don't know what to do. It's one of those situations. battleground when you change the diaper, man. You know, and, and then, you, then you go like, I'm a WWE superstar. Like, no one, you know, poops on me no one poops on the mist <laughs> no one, no one poops that. On my guess 
You know what I mean? You sit there and think, like, do you ever, like, you know, Joe and, you know, Andrew, you know, you sit there and go, you know, I was on the Browns, you know, I was on a billion-dollar franchise, you know, I was a, you know, in, in – and then and then a, a daughter or a son just goes on you and you're just like i can't believe this is happening i'm supposed to be somebody like you know a couple a couple of weeks ago kids are so good at humbling you um all three of my kids got the flu when we were at um my in-laws for easter and i was sleeping up like in the corner of the loft in the attic like where they put dads because we're completely worthless once you start having kids yeah. and so i heard <laughs> my number two was crying so like sprinted down two flights of stairs like pulled her out of bed and as i was taking her to the bathroom because she's she was sick and she was throwing up she threw up on me and then <laughs> i was like okay all right now i got puke all over myself i can handle this so, and then i'm walking to the bathroom and i'm trying to like change her diaper and then she craps all over me <laughs> yeah. and i'm just standing there like i literally move because both my hands are covered in poop and puke and yeah. so i just started screaming for my wife at like three in the morning and uh <laughs> it was it was a nightmare scenario but it definitely humbles you it brings you back to reality that you know you're not any more special than anybody else just because of what you do uh, on the side uh, as a profession Keep it though. Your Joe, baby does not care. Give us the crap no, story. Does not care what I do or who I am at no. all. Like it's funny. Like I'll never forget when it became real to me. Like when uh, you know she was crying and her lip was trembling, and I, I kind of picked her up and started holding her and sat on the rocking chair, and all of a sudden she just started looking at me, and it was like, oh man, this is this is real. This is like she's she's. She's my baby. Like I have to take care of you. If I don't take care of you, you're gonna, you're not, you're not gonna make it. You know, it's, that is it's one of those kind of situations, and it's like it, it became real. Like I, I, this, this little girl, I have to basically guide and nurture and help um, throughout her life. And so I was like, oh man, I, I didn't know if I was ready or not, but I feel like I am now. Yeah, you're ready. That's one thing about parenting. You never think you're ready, then you're way more ready than you imagine. The bad part is going to be when your daughter grows up and her favorite wrestler is John Cena. <laughs> right? Right. Because you're dad, and that's well, just what you are, and she doesn't care what you do. You're like, man, dad, you knew John Cena. That was crazy. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's you what know my kids me. say about Andrew Hawkins. Well, I was bigger than John Cena, damn it. <laughs> yeah. My, dad, my son thinks I'm the coolest because I knew A.J. Green, and you know, like, he doesn't even care that ah. I played. Like you knew AJ Green, man. That was awesome. Your life is so cool. <laughs> How is? Uh, can I ask you this? How yeah. is AJ compared to Josh Gordon? Ah, man, that's a very good question. Mm. AJ is a freak, and Josh Gordon is a freak. But Josh Gordon physically is probably the the best put together football player I've ever been around. Like, really? He's like, he's like what you would create on Madden. Like AJ is really like AJ's ball skills. Or next level. AJ is fast. He's like, AJ's one of those guys who was born to play receiver. Like, even without working out, he'd be a really good wide receiver. Josh Gordon is the only person I've ever seen not do anything for long periods of time and come back better the next time I've seen him. Do you think that Josh Gordon puts in the work that AJ does? Or do you think AJ, is there, is there a talent level on either one? Because obviously, Josh Gordon has all the tools, has everything. You think yeah. he's going to be able to put in the work to to be uh, a top caliber like Julio or AJ or you know Calvin? Yeah. Well, I always say there's like two kind of people, right? There's the people who are just physical specimens, right? And then there's the people who are smart and work their their butts off to get where they're at. I always put myself on the smart and work your butt off to get to where mm -hmm. I am. Debatable, you know. And then <laughs> there's guys on the other side. Oh, you were great, man. That are physical specimens. 
when you have guys that can do both, they become the Julio Joneses. They become the A.J. Greens. So Josh Gordon, who is now in a very good space in his life and, and working his butt off and putting the work in the way he probably should have from the beginning, when he puts those two together, he is going to be extremely scary. And I can, I'll go out and say he's going to have 1,200-plus yards receiving this year because of that. And, and to be honest, he could do that in his fleet. Here's my favorite Josh Gordon story. This is what I always tell people when they ask me about Josh Gordon. I would say like 2000, I don't know, 14 or whatever. Uh, one of those years, we had uh, Barkevius Mingo. He was the starting defensive end. He was one of our first-round picks. Mingo? First-round pick. Yep. Went to the Patriots. Yep. And then you had uh, Josh Gordon. And I would always be curious to see how much guys weighed. So I would like creep around the corner on weigh-in day to try to see what the scale was like. And I'm not kidding you, Josh Gordon weighed 235 pounds the year he had this big year. And Barkevius Mingo, our starting defensive end, was 225 pounds. <laughs> Josh Gordon ran a 4-3 and probably a 40-inch vertical at 235 pounds. He was bigger than our defensive end. Could catch a BB and, in the dark. Yeah. And yeah, he probably had like a 2% body fat and he could catch anything within 20 feet of him. So when you talk about physical specimens, he's, he's the one right there. Yeah, that's the one thing about me. Like, I always, whatever I lacked in talent, I made up with hard work. There it is. There it is. Which athletes do you think would be good WWE wrestlers? If you had to pick four professional athletes across any sport, which ones do you, would you want to see in the ring? <laughs> wow. Whoever, uh, obviously, uh, we've already had one of them, Floyd. Uh, Money, Mayweather, Money Mayweather was, uh, yep. I think he just has the talking ability. Conor McGregor. Um, I think anyone that can talk a lot of smack. Like, who is the biggest smack talker on, on the Browns or that you've ever been – that if you have ever seen in the NFL, like you've been a part of? Like, Richard Sherman would be fantastic, I think, yeah, as a Richard WWE Sherman, superstar. James Harrison would probably be a really good one. Terrell Suggs. James Harrison, Terrell Suggs would be another one. Terrell Suggs. Yeah, I was thinking James Harrison after watching him on the thing, but he's just more of an intimidating brute. He would be more of, like, the, the Brock Lesnar caliber. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think like more Richard Sherman and, uh, and Conor McGregor, Floyd Money Mayweather, those type of guys, even, um, even Draymond Green, you know, are there more Green, the like guys that would be the flashy, very, uh, very talk, you know, Odell Beckham Jr. You know, I yeah. think all those guys could actually do fairly well in the WWE. It's funny though, like just that. because a person has personality doesn't mean they're going to be amazing in WWE as well. We've had a lot of guest stars where, you know, sometimes the, they, they come in and they, uh, you think that they're going to be absolutely incredible and amazing. It's like, oh, they get kind of uh, shocked at, like, how difficult what we do is. It'd be like me going to the NFL and saying, well, left tackle, I can, I can do that, you know, and then going <laughs> It's in really not that hard. Butt handed to me. Well, that's a good question because Gronk has gotten a lot of publicity this offseason. There was talk that he might retire from the NFL and try to go into wrestling. Do you think Gronk has what it takes to be a great WWE superstar? Um, you know, it, it, you know I can say it's, it's like you say with the, the offensive linemen, you know, in college. You, you look at them and you go, oh, this guy could be good. But you don't see uh, it, what they can do until they're actually there in the NFL and right. against NFL caliber type players. Like, it all depends on your dedication. I always say if you're dedicated and you love it and you have the physical talents to do it, then you'll be great. But if you think that you're just a big guy and, you know, you work out a little bit and, uh, you know, I think I'm, this might be fun, it's not for you. This is right. a, a very uh, draining job. 
It takes a lot out of you. It takes a lot out of your family. There's not, it's a lot of stuff that you don't see that being a WWE superstar, uh, it takes it's a lot of sacrifice, a lot of blood, sweat and tears. And so, you know, with WWE, you know, I, I loved it. As a kid, I've always wanted to be a WWE superstar. I never thought I could do it because I'm 6'1", 200 and nothing pounds. But, you know, uh, through hard work and dedication, I've been able to be successful in the, 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 the sport that I love. Um, the I only love problem it. is, you know, it's one of those situations where you can't do it forever. I mean, Joe, you're probably going through it right now. Um, but, I mean, you know, this, this is the type of sport that, you know, once you – get to a certain age, you know, your body just can't take it anymore. That's a great question. I, I have some questions just on the health side of it. I know that um, stem cell is something that's been talked about a lot in the NFL recently. It's something that I actually did when I had my knee scoped a couple of years ago, but like this idea of expanded stem cell injections, IVs in, into your knees, um, that's something that I think we're kind of right on the forefront of making a big medical breakthrough and being able to like heal some of these guys that get the cartilage, the arthritis issues, which is what, you know, took me out of the NFL and what I think a lot of guys that kind of ends their career because we don't really have mm -hmm. anything right now from a surgery standpoint where we can like heal or regenerate cartilage. But yep. is that something that you guys in the wrestling world get excited about, look at, uh, pay attention to, share stories, have used? Um, what what on the on the health side of things to try to like extend your career is popular kind of in the locker rooms in the WWE? You know, you know, it's it's going to sound very easy. You're you're talking about stem cells and all that stuff, but a big thing with WWE and what we do is as simple as stretching. You know, a lot of people oh, wow. don't do the proper amount of stretching before they go out there. You know, they just kind of think, oh, I'm ready to go. Like you always see people pull hammies and that kind of stuff. And that's just simple <laughs> of, as stretching. But if you want to talk like there's no real talk in the locker room about stem cells, but we're always hoping for medical breakthroughs, you know, right. with, with WWE, they are, you know, full force in our health and making sure that we are at the top level that we can be health wise. And yeah. they don't put us, you know, in that sort of danger um, where I, I'm afraid, you know, so it's kind of one of those things where you're always looking for the next step in a medical breakthrough. But for right now, me, I've been very fortunate. I haven't been injured in my 12-year career as a WWE superstar, which is very, very rare. But, uh, you know, I'm one of those, uh, you know, type of superstars that I've always, you know, you know, pushed myself, but didn't push it over the edge where I'm overtraining. You know, a lot of guys will try to overtrain and overdo it. And then you, that's where you end up tearing and pulling and doing that kind of stuff. And I always made sure that I stretched enough. So those are the kind of things and I know you're looking for like, you know, stem cells and this and that, but you know, sometimes <laughs> it's as simple as the, the stuff that we've grown up doing. Ice. I like it. It's like, no, Joe, I got a, I got a hot tip for you. <laughs> ice. Try that. Maybe you'd still be in the league. You yeah. Fancy. yeah. I should have tried that. <laughs> I never thought of stretching when I was, in the <laughs> we should have had this uh, interview about six months ago. Miz, tell me this. We're doing our we're doing our our all time wrestling draft later in this episode. Give me your top three wrestlers of all time. It'll help my it'll help my big board. Me, me and me. No, uh, I, I love it. Go, three well, misses. Number one, as always. I always yep. get myself number one. If I don't believe I'm number one, then I shouldn't be doing what I'm doing. Uh, so Facts. I always focus on trying to be number one and dedicating myself to be number one. So always me number one. Number two. Uh, Shawn Michaels, number three, Ultimate Warrior, because when I was a child, those mm. were my two uh, uh, top top guys. You know, The Rock as well. 
um, I'd always put the rock up there in the, uh, in the top five caliber. I love it. I love it. We're actually got a movie with John Michaels, uh, that's going to be coming out, uh, later this fall called Marine six close quarters. Believe it or not, we've done six of these things. And, oh, wow. uh, and so Sean Michaels, I've actually got to, uh, work side by side with in a movie. And it was, uh, absolutely an amazing experience, especially as a kid watching him, you know, grow and his me and me grow, you know, and see him. It's amazing. Sean Michaels is high on my big board. So that's good. That's good take. Yeah. I, I feel like I'm in the right area. But uh, yeah, NFT had a good question. If you could wrestle anybody in all time history of wrestling back to, uh, you know, the year Hawk was born in 1901, <laughs> uh, who would that wrestling match be? I've gotten to wrestle actually all the people that I've ever wanted to wrestle. You know, I've always wanted to wrestle the rock. I've gotten to wrestle them. Um, you know, but the one person I never got to do, uh, to have a match with was the ultimate warrior. Uh, as a kid growing up, you know, I would paint my face with streamers on my arms, running around the house, cutting promos on my mom, like the ultimate warrior. And so now, you know, unfortunately he has passed away, but, uh, he was one that I've always wanted to work. He's my favorite wrestler as well. So he, he's uh, the consensus number one. That isn't about who's the, your favorite. It's about who's the best. So keep that in mind, Joe, when we're, when we're drafting. But the ultimate warrior was the guy that never lost. Every match he ever showed up to, you knew he was going to win. And he was the guy that just was everybody's favorite. It wasn't really even a question when I was a kid. I don't know. Maybe yeah. you guys were different when you were there. But everybody wanted to be the ultimate warrior. He had the best yeah. costume, too. Well, Miz, we appreciate the time, man. As always, thank you for joining the Tomahawk Show. Yeah, thank you guys so much for having me. I really appreciate it. I always like dissecting, you know, Cleveland Brown's brain just to see where – everything is at and how everything's going. And I feel like uh, the Cleveland Browns are taking a step forward uh, with Dorsey coming in and uh, using those picks to, to get some value and uh, basically doing a tremendous job. I can't wait for the season. And uh, thank you guys so much, Joe, Andrew. Thank you guys very much for having me. Really appreciate it. Of course, man. Thanks, I can't man. wait to have you back. Oh, and I'll always end a show with the Tomahawk show is awesome. Hey, <laughs> I thought he was going to say Joe Hawk yourself, but uh, uh, I we'll, I we'll go with that. That's good enough. What's up, Tomahawk fans? I'm sure you're all wondering how Joe and I came to be the greatest podcast duo in the history of sports and podcasts. Well, after playing together on the field for years and spending countless hours in the studio, we've gotten to know each other pretty well. Uninterrupted and State Farm are teaming up to bring you the sixth sense, where NBA teammates like Victor Oladipo and Miles Turner show you how they get each other, just like me and Joe do. Check out the latest episode of The Sixth Sense on youtube.com slash uninterrupted. And maybe you can get a teammate off the court or off the field that gets you too. And now, after an incredible interview with The Miz, we got our, this is the first time he's on our show, which is ridiculous, but he's probably going to be our favorite guest. My guy, Gary Barnage, former Browns tight end, number 82 in your programs, number one in your heart, the best tight end in NFL history. Gary, how you doing, man? <laughs> I'm doing good. Thank y'all for having me. About time, though. No big deal, though. Yeah. I'll, I'll wait. We had to find what you were expert at. We know your real expertise is the lady friends, and we haven't really had an episode devoted to that. So now that we're doing wrestling, it was a good time to, to chime you in. Also, on the back of our Disney draft, which I don't know if you've heard, but I kicked Joe's ass, it'd also be good to get your take about that as well. Yeah, no problem. So what do you got going on, Gary? What are you up to, man? I feel like you fell off the face of the earth on me. You don't text me anymore. I'm sitting out here by my pool getting stuff situated for NFLB, and I expect both of y'all there next year. So there's no excuses. The invite's on the table right now, recorded, 
y'all are invited to AFWB next year wherever we go. Well, what con- what country is it? We have we're in process of figuring that out right now. I I can almost tell you I can tell you right now what the country's going to be, Dan. The fact that he invited me tells me it's going to be in Baghdad. Um, <laughs> it's going to be in a some war zone country because he only ever invites me to the countries where nobody else really wants to go to. Hey, hey, Gary, why don't you give the fans a quick rundown of AFWB, what that is? Yeah, no problem. AFWB is a nonprofit that me and two of my college buddies started. Ahmed Aladala, who's an engineer for Young Food Brands, and Bernard G. Kamini, who's the right tackle for the Oakland Raiders. We go overseas, do free football camps for kids, visit schools, orphanages, and just talk to kids and spend time with them, and everything's free. And then we do camps in the U.S. as well. Where are some of the countries you've had camps already? So we've been to China, Brazil, Turkey, Egypt, Finland, and we just got back from Portugal. And right now, uh, on your take, Andrew, would be uh, the Germany is really hot and heavy. They really want us to come next year, but we'll have to wait. We have to give everybody the same opportunity. So we got to send out yeah. information to all the countries to see who's ready. So, Gary, tell us a little bit about what happens with AFWB. You guys just show up and then party all week, or are you guys actually uh, doing something positive for the local communities? Are you guys building houses? Is it like uh, uh, one of those house-building foundations? <laughs> what, what goes on? No, we uh, – <laughs> so, we, so it's a whole – almost a six-month process because we vet the countries, we send out a proposal and tell them what we want to do, and then we got we find local charities in that area – usually with like underprivileged kids or displaced families or displaced kids. Uh, and mm. we spend, and we have a camp for them. And then we also go spend time with them. We go visit, have lunch with them, talk to them, just spend time with them and show there's people out there that do care about what they're going through and want to help them in any way we can. And then we try to raise money to donate uh, to their, to their causes. And then uh, we have the football aspect as well. So we do a free football camp and we teach the importance of how football is more than just go out and play. It's taking care of your body. It's eating right. It's staying in shape. It builds the friendships, lifelong friendships. It's a big team game wow. and you can get a lot of stuff from it. And we try to incorporate all that into it. And then also we do a coaches clinic where the coaches over there, we give them our insights of what we've learned throughout playing on how they can help their players and help grow the sport over there. And then we also work on getting uh, equipment donated so they can keep the programs getting bigger and bigger in these countries. So you, you talked about how football is more than just playing. It's, it's working out. It's eating right. Why don't we talk a little bit about your offseason regimen? Give the fans a little <laughs> taste of what the Gary Barnage offseason uh, training regimen looks like. So uh, Jim Dre gave me the nickname, the Enigma, because I am a – Statistical anomaly. I am completely different than anybody else. My after my first year, I worked out uh, going into my second year of the league, and realized my body did not like that. My body hated that. <laughs> I didn't feel good and any of that stuff. So from then on, I just I didn't do anything. I traveled. I enjoyed it, and then I, I just went through the first week of off season workouts where it was tough, and then after that, I was good to go. Just let my body get that shock, and then be right back into it. And so. For me, it's different because my body re- reacted differently. But I also, I don't, I never did cold tubs. I never did any of that stuff. I didn't stretch. <laughs> I didn't warm up. Because for me, it didn't help my body. I felt worse if I did that stuff. So I'm different than most people are. So. Yeah, and I can tell that you were naturally so flexible and limber that you didn't need to stretch. 
One thing you were known for is your flexibility, Gary. Gary, will you let the fans know how many cans of Coke you drink a day? Um, it depends on what I'm doing. Like, if I'm not outside, if I'm just in the house hanging out, watching TV or going to the movies, I might only drink two or three. But if I'm actually doing something, I might drink four or five. Oh, is that it? Maybe six, who knows? Four or five hundred? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there, there was a... a... Oh, yeah, man. I, I got some inside information from a girl that went on a date with you, and she told me, you can confirm this if this is true or not, that when you guys sat down at Arby's for your wonderful romantic date, you ordered two of the big Cokes. Not just one, like, 25-ounce Coke, but actually two of them because you had planned to drink them so fast that you weren't going to be able to bother yourself with getting another one after you drank the first one. You needed two full jumbo cokes to quench your thirst is that true uh well i've never went to arby's for a date so not that i would <laughs> that would not be true but i have <laughs> ordered multiple drinks at a restaurant because they don't refill them quick enough and i'll go through the first one really quick <laughs> so i have ordered two at a time and now my buddies when we go out to eat they say you might as well just bring them two sometimes they'll bring me a pitcher i'll say in louisville they brought me a huge pitcher and said and put a straw in it and said here you go Mm. Gary, how many run tests have you failed? <laughs> how many what? Ouch. Run tests. Run how many test? run tests oh, have you one. failed? In your career? <laughs> one, because I didn't have to do the other ones after that. <laughs> <laughs> that was one of my favorite NFL stories when people want to hear like great, uh, you know, NFL stories about fourth quarter. We're driving down the field. No, no, I don't have any of those. My favorite <laughs> NFL stories are the ones where three reps into uh, a conditioning <laughs> test of twenty reps. Gary Barnage blacks out and they have to bring the ambulance on the field and stretcher him off because he's so out of shape he can't even go four 40s in a row. My favorite would no. be we would be doing the run test and Gary would be getting way more tired than everybody else early on in the process. And then he would look over like, oh, this is ridiculous. <laughs> and we'd be looking back at him like, no, nah, man, it's, it's actually not that crazy. <laughs> yeah, but then, see, then we get to we get to week three, and I'm out there and doing oh, the running routes, and I'm good all day. You're I, right, I work man. Myself I into it. it. You've had the most efficient offseason of any NFL player I've ever been around. It ju it just worked differently for me. You, def you do. definitely don't waste any ticks or any cartilage in the offseason. If you're no. going to waste any ticks of your heart or any chunks of cartilage in your knee, it's going to be in practice or a game. Exactly. Exactly. I think it's also funny that uh, you talk to kids about nutrition and the importance of eating a well-balanced meal because I remember you're really well-known throughout your NFL career of being the pickiest eater out of anybody I've ever played with, a guy that will only eat plain cheese pizza. You don't like any toppings on your pizza, and you only <laughs> ranch dressing, and you refuse to drink anything but Coke and vanilla Coke. Please defend yourself. <laughs> y'all try to kill me okay uh no definitely not like i i uh i'm not picky i just don't like spicy food i like flavors i know you're big into the spice i hate spicy food so if it's spicy i'm done eating so i need like a mild taste but it can be flavorful but just can't be spicy or hot understandable so your your definition of spicy is pepperonis on a papa john's pizza no that is no. spicy the pepperonis are too spicy <laughs> No, I can handle pepperoni. All right, Gary. So let's talk a little bit of Browns. You're 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 a Browns legend in my book. 
one of the only tight ends in the history of the Browns to go for a thousand yards in a season. You've seen some of the moves they made. They, you know, John Dorsey has come in. He's used some of that cap up. He's used those draft picks. He's made some trades. And this team is considerably better than it was a year ago. What are your thoughts going into the 2018 season for the Browns? I think it's definitely going to be an exciting season. That's for sure. I'm interested in how they're going to put everything together because obviously they drafted a first-round quarterback and they just signed Tyrod. So mm-hmm. they got to groom the young guy and see what he has, if he can be the future. But you also have Tyrod still for two more years. Yeah. And he didn't come to go sit on the bench either. So it's going to be interesting in that dynamic. But I think uh, they got some good players in. I'm actually super excited about Josh Gordon getting a full season in yes. now. And I'm looking forward to see what he can do. I know I've, seen, I've played with him, so I know how good he can be. I'm looking forward to getting back to that. And having Landry as a compliment out there is going to help too. You know what? I, I, I posed a question on Twitter. What happens if Tyrod comes in and he takes the team to the playoffs? You have a, probably a quarterback controversy. And you have Tyrod, who is, would then have taken Buffalo and Cleveland to the playoffs in back-to-back years. The reason why – like there's a lot of people talking about why Baker should play or why Baker should sit. And again, if that scenario happens, it's good problems for Cleveland to have a problem that they've haven't had here in 20 plus years. But I will say the biggest reason why I think it's a good idea for Baker to sit this year is because in the NFL, you have to learn to play under center. And that's one way that Baker hasn't not played in college for the majority of his college career he was a shotgun quarterback and it does take time to be able to process the field as a quarterback coming from under center because it's different so with him sitting the bench kind of going through practice watching the games up close and personal studying getting better and letting his team continue to build around him with the weapons that they're bringing in I think it is going to be good for him to to have that year of playing under center under his belt before he gets thrown in live action because it could definitely ruin him trying to do something different so fast and with so many expectations on you. So I pose a question then. So say if the Browns won 10 games and Tyrod plays really good, what do they do? Because he'll have one year left. Do they bench him for the next year? And Baker, they sign to extension. What do they do? But like you said, that's a good thing to have. I know you said that's a good thing to have, like a good position to be in. But what would you say? What's there out to do with that? What I think they would try to do is try to trade Tyrod. They would never trade Baker because he wouldn't have any value. I mean, he would have value, but it's not like they're going to give up a number one overall pick to take Baker Mayfield, I I wouldn't think. So they're not going to draft Baker number one overall and then the very next year trade him for like the 12th or the 10th pick. That would make him look like total idiots. So what I think they would do then is try to trade Tyrod and then make Baker the starter. Worst case scenario, if he – doesn't find a trading partner, John Dorsey, I'm talking. I think what they would end up doing maybe is starting Tyrod as the starter during the season. And then you would see him probably play. And if and if he faltered at all, they'd put Baker in there. If he keeps playing well, they would let him play out the rest of the season. And then it would be like an Aaron Rodgers type situation where you got a guy like Baker sitting for a couple of years. It's not a big problem because if you got the guy ahead of him playing really well, you just kind of roll with the hot hand. And then at the end of the second season, then – uh, Tyrod's a free agent and then you can deal with them then but um, those are all good problems to have if you sit there and you say you know Tyrod Taylor's our starting quarterback and he's taking us to the playoffs two years in a row I think the fans are going to be really happy just being in that situation and whatever happens after that what uh, happens and everybody's still happy I don't think there's a way they don't trade Tyrod after this season if he if he if he wins 10 games That'll be the highest his value will be at that time. So they won't, even though they'll be like, hey, he took us to the playoffs and no one else has, 
they won't risk it to go into it another year. They've already made the commitment to Baker by giving him number one overall status. So he's your quarterback of the future, and you believe that he is the guy that's going to be here for the next decade plus. So I think what happens is if they win 10 games, which I, I like it, I'm actually all for it, Baker gets to sit, he gets to watch, he gets to learn by, you know, getting the firsthand experience through Tyrod. Um, but if Tyrod wins 10 games, and again, if he takes Cleveland to the playoffs a year after he takes Buffalo to the playoffs, and Tyrod has a lot of weapons here in Cleveland, more than he probably had in Buffalo, then I think it just creates a, a tremendous amount of trade value. And I, I would actually point it more towards a Drew Brees and Phillip Rivers situation, which I talked to someone very smart, and they mapped that out for me, and, and I think that's what happens. Mm-hmm. You could probably get a first, late first or early second if Tyrod takes the Browns to 10 wins this season, which would be a great trade because they gave up a third-round pick for him. You got to get at least a third-rounder back. If you get at least a third-rounder back, then you win. You win. Yeah, I think they would get more than that. Yeah. All right, well, that was a great question. Uh, Now this is the uh, Gary Barnard show since he's asking us questions, but uh, (laughs) let's transition to something that I'm much more interested in talking about, and it's D'Angelo Williams and you – is this true? You guys have a dating app called Steady, or are you guys well, just spokesperson persons? Yeah, just a uh, I'm a spokesperson part of it, like type of thing. And uh, me, and I, I recruited D'Angelo to do the videos with me. So we all we did the videos, the little dating videos, and it was all good fun. Had fun with it. How did you get involved with that? Gary's known for his da- dating man. Actually, That's one true. of my uh, one of my. Uh, buddies that works with AFWB, he's on our board, Todd Bulo. He is, um, he knows the guy that is one of the owners of it. So they, he reached, put me in touch with them. And so we just met through that mutual friend and that's how I became part of doing something with it. Well, man, that, that sounds pretty incredible. If I wasn't married, I'd probably get on there and, and probably knock it out of the park with a lot of pokes. You guys poke on that app or is that not a thing? No, anymore? no, not at all. That's safe. Okay. Okay. <laughs> All right, well, we got to wrap it up. Gary, we appreciate you joining the Tomahawk, as always. I know it took us a while to get you on, but you're always invited back. And maybe we'll have you on as a reoccurring guest when we talk movies, wrestling, and all things dating. How's that sound? I'm down for that. And I expect you all at AFWB next year. Yes, AFWB, North Korea. I am there. (laughs) Gary, thanks for joining us on the Tomahawk, brother. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Well, folks, time to wrap up another quality episode of the Tomahawk Show. Thanks to Gary Barnage, our favorite, and, of course, The Miz, Cleveland's finest, the NFL's greatest wrestler. I think we had a lot of fun, and uh, I learned a lot about wrestling, guys. I wasn't uh, as well-informed about wrestling as I should have been before we did this. Uh, unfortunately, and their, their innovative techniques yeah. as well. You didn't know about their innovative uh, rejuvenation yeah, techniques. Pretty interesting. Apparently, all you got to do is stretch, and I could have played uh, 20 years in the NFL. <laughs> uh, we tried a wrestling draft. Unfortunately, it didn't work out. It was not made for TV or even podcasts, but we'll throw it up on one of our <laughs> social pages, and then you can vote on who had the best team. Don't forget to subscribe and rate the show five stars. And, of course, as always, NFD, take us out. Joe Hawk yourself. <laughs>